Today, I want to talk to you, continue our message on relationships out of Colossians chapter 3. In essence, what I've been teaching about over the last few weeks is this reality. If you have come to Christ and you have encountered a new dynamic faith relationship with God through his son, Jesus, then the old has gone and the new has come. Colossians tells us basically, if you have experienced a spiritual rebirth, then whoever you were before may be part of your past, but it has no place in your future. The old you, with its identity, its habits, and its issues, and its language, and its attitudes is gone, and you have been called to a new kind of lifestyle. Identity determines behavior. If you change your identity, you change your behavior. And that doesn't just come into play on Sunday mornings, what you do on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes, two hours, no. Just, it, it's not just about what happens on Sunday morning. What the Bible teaches us is that if you are a new person in Christ, everything about your life begins to change. The way you think, the way you talk, the way you walk, your attitude, your relationships especially, not only to the outside world, but your relationship to your spouse. Help us, Lord, because that's one of the hardest ones. And all the married people said, amen or help me, Jesus. Um, that's one of the hardest areas. But also how we conduct our life with our children, how we parent, how we cultivate a family. And today, today I want to talk to you about what it means to develop a new culture in your family. A new culture in your family. And this will be for everybody, but I'm specifically going to be giving principles to parents and children. I'm going to be talking about the family. How many parents do we have in the house? Raise your hand. Okay. How many parents of children under the age of 20 do we have in the house? Raise your hand. Wave at me a little bit so I know who I'm talking to. All right. Is that saying I surrender, it's too hard, or just, okay, no, you're just waving at me. All right. I have three children of my own. I have a 22-year-old daughter named Marissa, I have a who just finished college. I have a 21-year-old son named Josiah, who's in his uh, senior year of college. And then I have a 16-year-old son named Grant, who just happens to be, as I speak right now, on his first missionary trip to Bolivia, which I'm super excited about. We pick him up tomorrow. Yeah, that's my kids right there. I'm so happy they came out looking like their mother because they're a handsome group of kids and uh, have her genes in them. But I want to make a confession. It is challenging as well as extremely rewarding to raise children. Some days you think, wow, what an amazing experience. And other days you say, wow, this is hard. What are we doing wrong? I think every parent goes through those things, don't they? So the Bible has a lot to say about family, about marriage, and about doing things the right way. Now, here's what I know. I know that many of you grew up in dysfunctional families. In fact, I know that probably the majority of people here are first-generation believers in the sense that it, you are the first-generation 
to really seriously embrace your Christianity and embrace your faith. So although you may have had extraordinary parents that had great work ethics or values, oftentimes we have households that have not known how to raise us in a godly way. And so many of us are learning parenting and marriage not because we had great examples to follow, but because we have to learn a new way of doing marriage and a new way of doing parenting. And so the Bible is the blueprint on marriage and parenting and family. And so we have to go to the original blueprint, not ask ourselves, how did my mother do it or how did my father do it, although they may have given us a great example. We have to go to the original blueprint and say, how does God, how did God design marriage to work? And how did God design the family to work? And how can I begin to pattern my family according to the culture that God established? And so Colossians chapter 3, the apostle Paul is talking about the unit of the family and how we go about doing this God's way. I'm going to read a couple verses out of Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 17 and going to verse 21. The Apostle Paul says, and whatever you do, whatever, say whatever, whatever gives very little leeway, whatever, whatever you do, whether in word, that means spoken, or whether in deed, that means action, do it all in the name of of our Lord Jesus. Now, it's not saying that, that when we eat, we say, I eat in Jesus' name. When we go to work, I work in Jesus' name. When we drive, I drive in Jesus' name. It's saying that we need to do it for him and through him. So our lives revolve around the centrality of our Savior, Jesus, and a new way of living that Jesus has given us. And we need to do it giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then immediately on the heels of this statement, the Apostle Paul turns and starts talking about the family. Last week, I dealt with wives and husbands, and some of you came up to me afterwards, and we had some great conversations, some hard conversations for some of you. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. If you want to know more about that message, I spoke on it last week, and it's available online for free. Um, it is a hard message to swallow, but some of you need to hear that. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And all the parents are right now saying, amen, preach it, pastor. Verse 21, fathers. Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So I want to talk to you about creating a culture as a family that is the healthiest environment to raise your children in. Christian psychologist and author Henry Cloud made a statement in a book called Boundaries that I think is a very compelling statement. He said, you get what you create or what you tolerate. I like that statement. He was talking to leaders about companies, but I believe it applies to the household as well. Right now, the household that you live in is a reflection of what you have created 
or what you have tolerated. If there is chaos and bickering and dysfunction and animosity and yelling and screaming in your household, it's because you have created an environment of chaos or you have tolerated an environment of chaos. If you are in a household that ends up oftentimes in screaming matches with a teenage son defying his mother, it could be that you have either created that or tolerated that within your household. Because whatever your household looks like, it's because you've either generated it yourself by the attitude that you bring to your household, or you've allowed it to enter into your household without making sure that there was boundaries. So I think first of all, parents, we need to take responsibility for the culture that exists within our family. Good or bad, you are the cultural creative architects of what your family looks like. You cannot blame it on society. You cannot blame it on our culture. Stop blaming it on the school system or your kids' friends. Really, you are responsible for what your household looks like. And the Apostle Paul is agreeing with that as he speaks to these believers about their household. And so today I want to talk to you about two two aspects of this culture that every family needs to make sure they are planting into their household to make sure that it's a healthy culture. The first one has to do with the children's attitudes towards their parents, and the second one has to do with the parents' attitudes towards their children. So number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Creating a family culture that is healthy requires a family culture of honor and respect. In this verse, it says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. There's a parallel passage found in Ephesians chapter 6 that says, children, also written by the Apostle Paul, by the way, He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So you see two things in these passages. One is children being challenged to obey their parents, and then grown-up or adult children being challenged to honor their parents. A child that lives within your household has the spiritual obligation to obey their parents. As you get older and you're an adult that is self-sufficient, out of your household, financially stable, on your own, you no longer have the obligation to obey your parents, but now you have the right to honor your parents. If you're living out of your household, paying your own bills, independent adult, you no longer have to obey your parents. Some of you are like, yeah. I knew my mom keeps telling me what to do. Pastor Mark said I don't have to obey her anymore. Yeah, but you do have to honor them. Honor means that I listen to what they say. I give heavy weight or value to what they say because they have wisdom and insight and knowledge into my life. So I need to listen to what they say, not necessarily obey what they say, but listen to what they say. Now, if you're a child, you say, well, what age technically defines childhood? 
because I know there's some 17-year-old boy right now sitting in the auditorium saying, my parents want me to obey, but I'm not a little kid anymore. Well, here's what I, here's the age that defines childhood to adulthood. I'm not sure there's a specific age, but it has to do with the stage of life. If you are at home still, living off of the finances of your parents still, eating the food that's in the refrigerator still, enjoying the heat of their furnace still, and the air conditioning of their air conditioner still, and parking your garage in their driveway still, then I consider you still under the obligation to obey your parents. I know you're saying, but I'm not a little kid anymore. I know you're not, but as soon as you can live on your own, pay your own bills, be financially and fiscally independent, then you can gravitate from obedience to honor. And your parents, I'm sure, would be very happy about it. So, but as long as you're in the household, I believe that you parents, it is your house. I heard someone recently, uh, uh, it was someone in Hollywood talking about their children, how they were raising them. They said, we've reminded our children, we're rich, you're not. They're just kind of making a distinction. Hey, it's our money, not your money. And so here's the thing with, with your children. Your children are your responsibility, but you're raising them to become independent. You are coaching them so that one day they can stand on their own two feet and face the world. One of the greatest things that you can do for children when they are young, is to teach them the power of obedience. Now, let me say this about the power of obedience. The reason that obedience is so important is that a culture of obedience when they are young flows into a culture of honor when they're older. If your children never learn to obey and respect authority when they're younger, then they will have, a tr they will have trouble with honoring and respecting when they're older. Some of you are trying to, you're trying to help adult children respect you and honor you, but they've never learned obedience when they were younger and it's a challenge for them. One of the greatest gifts that you could give to your children is to provide structure and leadership to your household. And, and let me, Break it down this way. This is not original to me. I've heard it quoted this way before, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. If you're really strong on rules and you run your house like a military compound, but you have very little emotional, social, relational interaction with your children so that they feel like you really love them, then that eventually will generate rebellion. Rules without relationship generate rebellion because they will feel like this is rules, this is binding, but there's no relationship and eventually they will rebel against it. On the other hand, relationship without rules lead to resentment. Your children don't need a buddy partner, they need a parent. When you have a relationship with your child, I see this sometimes among women, 
you know, the mother, oh, like, she's my girlfriend, and, you know, we hang out together and do this, you know, but, yeah, I'm glad you're friends, but she needs a parent, not just a friend. And if you have a lot of friendship and relationship, but you have no boundaries, no rules, you have no, uh, no limits, no boundaries as to what they watch, what they do, where they go, and so forth, then eventually that will generate resentment. I've had conversations with adult children who have told me, I, in essence, raised myself. My parents weren't around. They didn't really have rules about what I watched on television, what I ate, who I hung with, where I went, because they were absent. And they typically resent the fact that their parents weren't more engaged in their life. So relationship without rules lead to resentment. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. No rules with no relationship lead to abandonment. There are other individuals here. You've had a parent, a stepfather, a mother who for whatever reasons maybe left you when you were very young. And you've had no rules and no relationship with them. And in essence, you feel abandoned by them. I've had multiple conversations with adult children who have never really met their dad or mother or have had very little contact with them. And there's a sense of abandonment that you have there. And if you have a sense of abandonment, you struggle with identity issues. Why did they reject me? Why did they walk out? Why did they leave me? Was there something wrong with me? And adults usually then get to the point where I don't care about them. And oftentimes if you as an adult parent try to engage in your children when they're older, they will feel like, well, why do you want to have anything to do with me now when you didn't care about me when I was growing up? And so you have to wrestle through that spirit of abandonment. And then fourthly, the healthy option is that relationship, a loving, engaged relationship with healthy boundaries and rules lead to great parenting. Healthy relationship with healthy boundaries lead to healthy parenting. And so the Apostle Paul is speaking to the lives of the children, and he's speaking into them saying, children... It is your obligation as children living within the household to follow the directives, the, the wishes, the commands of your parents. And it is the parents' obligation, I believe, to train the children at an early age to be respectful and to follow the commands of the parents. Now, as you get older, it gravitates from obedience to honor. Let me say a word about this because I think this is very important. One of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments. That's listed in the commandments of don't murder, don't lie, don't have any false gods before me, don't commit adultery. But sandwiched in there is also this commandment, honor your father and your mother. I know some of you are thinking, you don't know my father and my mother. I don't. I don't think I do. Maybe I do. And you, some of you are thinking, if you knew my father, you wouldn't tell me to honor him because he's quite a character. Or if you knew my mother, she's really not a person that's worthy of much honor. 
But here's what I want you to understand. This, is, this does not come with qualifications. This does not say if your parent has been an outstanding parent, honor them. It doesn't say if your mother was this outstanding, loving individual, honor her. If your father was this great provider, great leader in the household, godly man, honor them. It simply states because of their function and their relationship and the fact that they brought you into the world, that you are to honor them. To honor means that you consider them important that you give worth and value to them. And then it's not because of who they are, but it's because of what position they play that you're required to honor them. And this, by the way, is the first commandment with promises attached to it. In other words, what it tells us is that if you honor your parents, then there are two things that'll flow back into your life because of you honoring your parents. If you do this, then God will also flow in a special way into your life. What are those two things? Well, look at what it says in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. There are two promises attached to it, longevity and success. What the Apostle Paul is telling us and what Moses told us through the Ten Commandments was that if you honor your parents, the result will be that in your life there will be a sense of greater well-being and success and favor and open doors that will be poured into your life and you will live healthier and longer if you show honor to your parents. I know you're, you got that subscription to the health club and you're working out and you're buying organic tomatoes at Trader Joe's and non-hormonal milk at Whole Foods. That's all good and well. I'm glad you're doing that. But some of you need to say, and apart from all that health stuff, I need to honor my mother and my father, so that there will be longevity and health poured into my life. You want to be more successful and you want to be, live longer and healthier, most of us do, then begin to show a degree of honor and respect towards your parents. That means, yeah, that that aging father of yours or mother of yours that when you pick her up, she tells you the same stories that you've heard before all your life. And still you're 50 years old and she's saying, put the sweater on, it's pretty cold out there. Mom, I'm not a little kid anymore yet. But, but honoring means that you listen to the stories, that you take care of them while they're getting older because they took care of you while you were very young. Oh, I'm milking that with all I have with my kids. I'm telling my kids, oh man, when I get older, I'm going to go to your house. 
I'm gonna crank the music as loud as I can. I'm gonna eat everything in your refrigerator. I'm gonna leave the plates not cleaned up. I'm gonna make sure there's pee on the toilet seat. I'm just gonna make sure your house is a mess because you, hey, I'm just making up for all the things I'm, you're putting me through right now. I'm gonna put you right through back, right, right back to you when I'm older. So I'm just looking forward to it. I'm so excited about those days, looking forward to it. Of course, they tell me, we're going to wheel you in a corner and just put you and let you slobber over yourself in a corner, Dad, if you try to do that to us. So we were kind of going back and forth with each other there. But there's a powerful thing when we begin to invest in the culture of our children so they begin to learn honor and respect. And let me just say one other thing about this obedience. It's important that you start when they're young. Too many parents get serious about parenting when their children reach the preteen ages and they realize they have a challenge on their hand. The time to start coaching your children is not when they hit 13 or 14. A lot of their life is set in stone by that time. You need to start early, earlier. They tell us that formative years are between one and seven. A lot of the battles of obedience and structure are fought in the early years of life and then reinforced as they get older. And some, of, some parents wait way too late in life to start trying to establish structure to their life and so start early in life. The second thing, number two, not only do you need to develop a culture of honor and respect within your household, but you also need to start cultivating a culture of empowerment and encouragement. The Apostle Paul turns to the fathers, and by the way, fathers is generic for parents, mothers and fathers. And he says, fathers, parents, do not embitter or provoke your children to anger, or they will become discouraged. So for the children, it says, obey your parents. And for the parents, it says, do not provoke or embitter your children, which leads them to live a heart of, uh, leads them to live a life of discouragement or literally to lose heart. Ephesians chapter six, verse four gives a parallel passage to this. And it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So our command toward our children is don't turn your children bitter towards you. Don't exasperate them so that they lose heart. Don't turn them against you. And I believe that there's four ways that we turn our children against us. Four ways that we embitter our children. And these were listed by a, a teacher professor called Ray Stedman. He did an excellent job on this. I believe there's four ways and I agree with them. Number one to ignore them. When you have children that you, that you ignore relationally and are not engaged in their life, that will eventually lead to a sense of embitterment on their side. You say, Pastor, I'm trying to give my children what I never had. I know a lot of fathers that work 60, 80 hours a week. And when 
you say, well, why are you working these many hours? I'm working to give my kids a better life than I had. And so you're giving your kids all the toys, all the gadgets, the home and the cars, the opportunity and the vacations that you never had. But what your kids need more than that is not just your tool, your toys and gadgets. What they need is you. They need you present in their lives. And sometimes I hear fathers says, I don't know what's wrong with my kids. They have so much more than I ever had. We grew up in dirt poverty. I wish I would have had what they had. They don't appreciate what they have because I give them so much more. Yeah, you give them all these things, but what they really want is some of your attention. They need some of your involvement. They need you to engage in their life. So a father works hard hours at work and is there long hours and comes home and the little girl jumping up and down, Daddy, 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 look what I have on. Yeah, 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 honey, yeah, okay, I've had a long day. Dad, hey, Dad, can you throw the ball around me? Yes, honey, you know, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm long day, long day, and you just kind of brush them off when they're young. Honey, can you do something with the kids? The day will come when they're older that you're in your house and no one's going to come running to the door to say, Daddy, Daddy. Because they're up in the room with their headphones on or doing something else. And the day, day will come when, if you haven't engaged in their life, that you're going to say, hey, you want to come do that? And I don't really want to do that with you. There's something powerful about engaging in the life of your children relationally. And every stage of life is different. When they're young, you're going to have to play with them and engage in their activities. When they're older, you're going to have to relate with them. And I think every parent struggles with, through this. I've had to sort of figure it out with my own children as they get older. And some parents are really good at one stage and really bad at another stage. Um, I want a, a little tip of advice. I think that just understanding the difference between boys and girls. I have one girl, two boys. One girl makes up for drama for two boys. <laughs> but what, what I've discovered is that with my daughter, she's always been, and women tend to be like this, they tend to be much better communicators. And so they like to talk face-to-face, -face, quality time. So to this day, I still almost on a weekly basis have a breakfast date with my daughter. I take her out, we'll go to breakfast, and we'll talk. We'll just talk. And that comes very easy. We just chat, talk, how you doing? You know, great. We look forward to our, 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 our daughter-daddy breakfast times. My boys, they wouldn't want to go to breakfast and talk. So how's, how's things going? Good. How's school fine? How's sports? Great. Boys don't like to talk face-to-face. -face. You get a teenage boy and sit down and put him in front of you and say, well, let's have a talk. He's going to look down. Shuffle his feet. And he's, by and large, not going to engage in you. So what I've discovered with boys, and I, I discovered this, by the way, a good book that I would recommend by, I think I have it here, by, Ed, by, by, by Dobson, James Dobson, called Bringing Up Boys. We have a couple of these at our resource center. And I think I first read it in this book, Bringing Up Boys, where Dobson says, boys are not face-to-face -face communicators. They're side-by-side -side communicators. And I've discovered this, that if I can do something with my boys 
they will talk side by side while we're working out at the gym or playing uh, sports or throwing a football in the yard, but they will engage in conversation openly and freely if it's side by side, but not face to face. So I want to encourage you fathers, find an activity that your boys like to do with you. One of the things that I discovered early on, my boys were into sports, and so we work out together, go to the gym together. They would, you know, kind of push each other a little bit. Come on, wimp, aren't you going to do a little bit more than that? Now they do that to me. Come on, dad, you're going to push it to, come on, is that all you can do? It's like, ah. But I discovered that the conversations that we have side to side were great conversations. So fathers, Find something that your boy loves to do and do it side by side and engage in conversations. If you have a daughter, I think it can be more direct conversation. But do not let go of their heart. Because if you let go of their heart, you let go of the influence that you have in their life. The second way that we embitter children are not only to ignore them, but to indulge them. If you as a parent give your child everything they want, whenever they want it, all the time, you are raising a spoiled child that will eventually resent you because they're not learning the disciplines that they need to learn. Um, your three-year-old needs to know that the world does not revolve around her. Some of you have two-year-olds that have you wrapped around the finger and the whole world revolves around them. To indulge your children eventually produces a sense of restlessness, dissatisfaction, and spoilness. There needs to be a sense of not ignoring them, not indulging them. Number three, the way you embitter your children is to insult them. Um... Some parents feel like they want to push their kids forward. And because your parents did it to you, you do it to your children. And so you make fun of them, belittle them, criticize them, have sarcasm with them. And you think, I'm just having fun. I'm just pushing them forward. But in reality, you are tearing down their confidence and their identity. When you use words of insult, when you make fun, of physical characteristics of your child. Do you know how many women in America, college-age students, have eating disordered women, have eating disorders? One out of every four. That means 25% of the women that are college-age in this auditorium have an eating disorder, oftentimes because they have body image issues, sometimes perpetuated by their parents. Oh, you're getting fat, mija. What's going on here? Aren't you going to... And, and talking about things, saying things to them. Listen, you need to speak into their beauty, into their dignity, into their health if you want to. Health, but not body image. Let's be healthy. When you get mad, by the way, one of the worst things that can happen, and oftentimes parents escalate in their problem, and in order to try to get your, your children to do things, you find yourself screaming at them, you lazy bum, you're never going to graduate from college, you're never going to do anything, you need to learn how to work, you're a failure, or you're going to be just like your dad that I divorced three years ago, just like him. And sometimes in our anger to motivate, we let our words say a lot of things that are very cutting, demeaning, 
And that may we may apologize afterwards, but the damage is done. Now, I want to say if you do have an explosion like that, you by all means need to go into your room privately with your child and you need to get at their eye level if they're young or if they're a teenager and you need to sincerely apologize for how you've behaved. We're all going to make mistakes as parents, but children need to also learn that we take responsibility for our mistakes as parents and apologize as well. I've had many conversations, yeah, and it's humbling for a dad to do that, but I've had many conversations where I've had to go into my boy's room, sit down on their bed and say, you know what, the way I told you that, how I said that, it was wrong. Would you forgive me, son? I, that, that was inappropriate for me to do. And that was out of line for me to do. Would you forgive me? And um, normally they're very gracious. Not always. Normally they're very gracious and very forgiving in those ways. So you turn your children in bitter when you ignore them, indulge them, insult them, or intimidate them. I know that sometimes um, you... Uh, you escalate and sometimes parents intimidate their children to get them to do what they need to do. And some of you came from old school, the traditional ways, old schools of trying to get your children to do what they do. And oftentimes those are intimidating, what I would call abusive ways of coercing your children to do what you want them to do. Coercive, abusive ways only give way to more coercive, abusive behavior in your children. You need to influence them by your leadership, not by any kind of physical abuse. Huge. Or not when you escalate to the point where you're teaching them that the only time they need to listen to you is when you're out of control and anger. Can I talk to you moms for a second? Yeah? Here's the pattern in a lot of households. Junior, go clean your room. I'm serious. It's a pig's side. Half hour later, not clean. I said you need to clean your room because it's a mess, and I'm not going to let you. I'm going to give you discipline if you don't clean it. Nothing happens. Fifteen minutes later. Did you hear what I had to say? Seriously? I'm going to do this. I'm going to take your... And not until you are... Having a fit of rage, throwing things around, screaming out the disciplines, how he's going to be grounded for a month unless he avoids. Then suddenly he moves into action to do what you've asked him to do. Because you've coached him and trained him to know that until you raise your voice and scream at him, you're really not serious about, uh, about implementing obedience. You have taught him. That he doesn't have to listen until you're out of control. How many moms know what I'm talking about? What would happen if you change that? And if you say, Junior, you have a half hour to clean your room. Half hour. After that, you lose electronics for the night. Calm, nice voice. In a half hour, they haven't been mobilized. And you say, by the way, Junior, you lose electronics for the night tonight because you didn't obey. Obey? I didn't know you meant tonight. I mean, I thought you meant last week. I, electronics. I didn't know you meant TV and everything. I don't know. And if you do that enough and are consistent, what you will begin to discover is that your child will take you more seriously because you get what you create or what you tolerate. And some of you, yeah, some of you need to relearn some things about this so that your household doesn't have to be so crazy. 
There's another good book, by the way, Parenting a Strong-Willed Child that I would highly recommend. How many of you think you have strong-willed children? Don't raise your hands. No, please don't. Uh, they may be in the auditorium. But probably a lot of you think, I got a strong-willed child. This is a great book about parenting strong-willed children. Children. The great thing about strong-willed children is they can ultimately be very strong leaders if you coach them in the right direction. So, so there is hope for your son or daughter yet to use their stubbornness for good things. And let me wrap things up with this. I'm, I'm talking to the lives of parents as you, as you speak into the destiny of your children. I believe that you are called to be the CEO of your household, the chief encouragement officer. For every word of instruction that you give them, I want you to learn the power of encouragement. In Ephesians chapter 6, it actually talks to us about the power of not only, it says, don't exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Listen to me for a minute. The full responsibility to train your children about values and spirituality does not fall on the shoulders of the church. We have your kids an hour and a half on Sunday morning. You have them the rest of the time. Your children need to learn spirituality, how to pray, how to read the Bible, the values that you live by through your household. Young boys need to see fathers sit at a meal table and say, let me pray blessing over this meal. And you lead in prayer over the meal. Young girls need to see mothers and fathers kneel beside their bedside and speak blessing in their life and pray over them, not bring them to a pastor to pray over them. I'm happy to pray over them, but you need to be praying over them too. Speak into their destiny, into their life. Kids in your household need to learn to appreciate the Bible and Scripture because they see you in the morning opening up your Bible and they observe that you are reading the Word of God yourself. They need to see you wrestle through decisions, not as what is the best decision economically for this family, but what is the most godly decision. They, they need to see you and your wife get on your knees together and seek God over the future of your career or whatever financial decision you're making. They need to see that you pray together. They need to see that this is more than just religion that you do on Sunday morning, but that God is at the center of your household and you are trying to please him by the way you live your life, make your decisions decisions and parent and 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 are married together they need to see they need to see mom and dad hello love each other they need to see mom and dad dating each other the best gift that you can give your children to speaks into their future marriage is you dating your wife and loving her, opening up the door, cultivating her, praying with her, bringing her flowers once in a while, having an awesome marriage so that your daughter grows up expecting, I want a man to treat me the way my dad treated my mother. You are setting the stage of expectation of what your son will do with his wife and what your daughter will expect of a husband. You are the coach. I pray that one day you walk your daughter down the aisle and she will look at you, Dad, 
and say, I want to have a marriage as good as you and mom had. Because you guys have shown me what loving each other for the long term really means. I want what you have. I want your daughter to be able to say that to you. And I realize that we have single parents in this household, in, in this spiritual household, in this family. And I know that some of you have been through painful divorces or separations and difficulty. But you know, you can still teach your children what godliness looks like. You can still impart into them the values and speak honestly about some of the things that you've learned through the process, mistakes that you've made and things that you wish you would have done different. You still can impart value into the life of your children. And lastly, Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I believe that the seeds that you sow into your children, you, they may wrestle, go astray, be prodigals, wrestle through their faith, but I believe if you put it into their life heavy and strong and you're consistent, I believe that one day you will see them re-engage in the values and the faith that you have so deeply and powerfully implanted into their life and soul. I pray that you would have a new vision of what it means to be a parent and what it means to be a godly household. I pray that no matter what your past has been and no matter how dysfunctional it has been, that you begin to say, no, we can create a better future for our children together. I pray that you have that kind of mentality, that kind of vision, that kind of drive, that kind of desire.